Hello and welcome to episode 51 of The Witcher Chapter by Chapter Book Review, where I'll go through a summary of the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it. Today I'm discussing chapter 5 from The Lady of the Lake. Well, I'm going to give you a quick little update. I should have mentioned this in the previous episode, so this is actually about the um, previous chapter, chapter 4 of The Lady of the Lake. Um, so I was reminded about this in this chapter. So this is the update. Avalok, the elven sage, told Geralt in the cave in the previous book when we first met Avalok that he would soon, Geralt, would soon lose a member of his own group. And this happened in the previous chapter. And I did talk about the fact that Dandelion, he, he stayed behind in Tucson. He is not leaving to go try and rescue Siri with Geralt and the rest of the company. So I just wanted to make sure that I addressed the part about Avalok, at least now. I mean, it's better late than never, I guess. But yeah, that's something I thought was important to talk about. Um, <laughs> obviously not important to remember to talk about then. But Avalok is in the chapter we're discussing today, so that's why I remembered it then. I always try to... Um, remember like callbacks that are relevant to current moments in the book but i can't always remember and we've got a lot of story behind us at this point too so i, I hope you can understand that it's not always easy to do that but yeah so um now we see that what avalok predicted as a knowing one came true so the question is, are we now to believe that everything Avalok is predicting, like what he predicted in the cave, is going to come true? He said that Geralt's interference in rescuing Ciri will result in the death of tens of thousands of people. And he also said, this is a more um, up close, like a smaller scale thing, but he said that Geralt will also lose all of his company. He said that he would soon lose one, which... Nobody died, which is great, but Dandelion's not with them anymore. And now he's saying that he's going to lose all of them eventually. I, I hope not. And we're definitely going to talk about Avalok a lot more in this chapter. I don't know that we'll talk about him again in the future, but I think we're going to flesh this character out as much as we possibly can, given the information that we have by the time that we are done reading chapter 5 in this episode so stay tuned for that that's coming up in a couple of minutes but i'm gonna give you the recap first on where we left off with siri because she is the character that we follow closely in this chapter and then i'll give you the summary of what happened exactly and then we're gonna go into the discussion so for the recap very short here uh, sometimes my recaps are long this one is just yeah it's just a sentence uh we left off with siri in the future, calling back to her time in the elf world where she was a prisoner, but not much other context is given. Well, summary time. In this chapter, we get all the context that took place while she was there. So Siri meets Avalok, who Geralt met in the previous book, like I just talked about. He tells her that because one of their children, one of the elves' children, Lara Dorn, was taken from them, they are asking Siri to provide a child in return, and that she will produce this child with the Elder King, Oberon. If she does not agree to fulfill this request, they'll never let her leave. She reluctantly agrees, but after several attempts of becoming 
intimate with Oberon. Nothing comes of it on his part. This is okay. I'm just pause really quick. This is going to be a struggle talking about this because I don't necessarily try to keep these episodes family friendly. Like I'll, I, I'll curse a little bit here and there. I try to avoid like any f bombs or anything like that. But I definitely try not to get too graphic when it comes to anything sex related. <laughs> and as I'm trying to tiptoe around using certain words or getting too graphic. This this chapter um it's going to be it's going to be hard to do that um but I'm going to do my best and if you've read it which I I believe most if not all of you who listen to this have read it you'll know what I'm talking about but if you haven't I apologize if you struggle to understand what I'm saying but just if you hear me struggling to try to get a a point across or explain a situation or a moment it's probably because there is a lot of um yeah, I'm struggling right now. <laughs> it's all sexual, okay? <laughs> all right, let's get back to the summary. So during series time here, she also meets another seemingly prominent NL elf. All the elves in this world are called NL, called Aridin, who tells her that they're not actually going to let her leave. He asks her to give Oberon a flacon containing a substance that should make him perform better when he and Siri try to fulfill the deal next time, but she refuses only to find that Oberon got a hold of the flacon somehow anyway, and it killed him. Siri decides it's time to make an escape and flees. She previously came across the unicorns who inhabit this world that are definitely not friends with the NL. One of these unicorns was Little Horse, who helped her in the Korath Desert back at the end of Time of Content. And um, by the way, Little Horse has an actual name. It's not the name that Siri gave him. I don't even want to buy, I know. I don't know how you pronounce it. I'm not going to try. He's just going <laughs> to, in these episodes, we're calling him Little Horse. So Little Horse and the other unicorns tell her she's in danger in this world and will help her escape. She agrees to let them help her as long as Little Horse is with her. At first, she flees the elves on a boat, but Aridin jumps on board and tries to stop her, swinging his sword at her until he's knocked off by, the, by a low-hanging bridge. She reunites with Little Horse, who shows her a ravine filled with human bones to show her that the elves conquered this world from humans. Then they take off, dodging alder trees, trying to stop her while she's riding on Kelpie. Little Horse urges her to make the leap, which she manages to do, and ends up in another world in time. So she did escape. Unfortunately, though, it's not her world or her time. This is a very interesting chapter, of course. We get to discover another world. We've never gone to another world before, and another race of elves but it's also a pretty frustrating chapter. And that's not a diss on the writing, that's a diss on these characters and some of the things that they do because the NN, the NL elves, that's hard, such a hard thing to say sometimes, I don't know why. NL elves, I wanna say the N elves. Uh, they're so different, you know, they have their different customs and culture 
which makes sense they live in another world and they're also very old but because of that there's this huge disconnect between them and siri so she is a foreigner in this world so she understandably so is not on the same page as them a lot of the time and they're mostly just very dismissive of her misunderstandings and they don't really show her any understanding they don't show much sympathy of this confusion that she has especially being alone there like not having anybody else that is unfamiliar with this world like she is you know she's surrounded by other people but she she's really alone and it's um it, it's just frustrating to see the uh the way that she's treated but i guess in a way it does make sense but let's let's get into all that now so Take it from the top. At the beginning, Siri is riding around on Kelpie by the lake. This is where we first see her. And she's by this, um, like the tower that she came through when she first arrived eight days prior. So Avalok is there and they start talking. And he introduces himself to her, which is, it's a bit odd that he's only doing that for the first time since he was the elf that she met when she first arrived. So when we see Siri arrive in this world back towards the end of, um, or at the end of the Tower of the Swallow, um, the, there was an elf waiting there and said to her like, oh, it took you so long. That was Avalok. So, and it, they didn't tell us in that chapter who it was, but now we know that that was Avalok. And eight days later, he's just now getting around to telling her what his name is. So she expresses her frustration toward him for being trapped there because whenever she tries riding away from that very specific location that she's in that she has been in the whole time she's been there uh, there's a magic force that just brings her right back to the tower no matter which direction she rides plus she was recently told that she was the master of worlds but she still can't leave so she was able to teleport to this other world with the help of the tower with the help of a portal specifically but she is now under this belief that she has these powers and she has no idea how to access them and that would definitely uh, probably drive you a little nuts so they continue talking and Avalok tells her a little bit about how she's a descendant although he does say daughter of Lara Dorn then he goes into the deal proposal of Siri giving birth to a child for them in exchange for her getting to return to her world well, this deal, it of course upsets her a lot and she expresses her feelings and she immediately tells him no way. Well, he doesn't really make any attempts. This is going along with how I, what I first started talking about after the summary. He makes no attempt to dispel her apprehension, but he does tell her that time moves differently in this world and if she agrees to do this, They'll not only return her to her world or let her return, but they're going to give her the time back that she lost there. So time moves a lot faster there. So not only did she lose time being there and will she lose time if she agrees to do this, you know, nine months being pregnant, um, she is like the amount of time is not just going to be like, you know, nine months, maybe like closer to 10 months, depending on if it the whole thing worked out um, and how long it took for it to work out. But um, it wasn't just that amount of time in her world. It was going to be a lot more than that because the time moves differently there. So, yeah, they would give her the time back if she agreed to do this. But before they can continue this discussion, 
a herd of unicorns shows up and Avalok and then these other elf women that are with them draw their bows and they do some weird humming thing and that kind of drives off the unicorns for a little bit and it quickly becomes clear here in this moment that the unicorns and elves are not the least bit friendly with each other. Well, one or maybe more than one of the unicorns tries to communicate with Siri, and when they do this, their voice basically just comes through her head. They communicate telepathically. So they only ask her a couple of times who she is, but she doesn't answer, and then they take off. But a little while later, the herd returns along with an additional herd. And this time, she hears one of them communicating with her, telling her not to resist because they must transport her to another place and that she is in mortal danger here. So this is, aside from being told like, hey, um, get pregnant and give birth or we're not gonna let you leave, uh, this is the first time that she's finding out that like, yeah, this, this isn't a safe place. She doesn't know whether to believe it or not. She doesn't know what's going on with the unicorns, but that is the first time that she is getting a, more of an idea of what the situation really is in this world that's at first had the appearance of being very beautiful and it's not as beautiful as it seems. But nothing comes of this whole thing with the unicorns as this group of horsemen chases them off. And this group is led by Aridin, who approaches Ciri and Avalok and is introduced to Ciri. So when she first sees him, she notes that he's the same height as Avalok, which means he's very tall. These NL elves are, they're all super tall. And then in contrast to Avalok's more gentle features, Aridin's features evoke the image of a bird of prey. So he kind of has a little bit of an evil look to him. Well, Aridin tells Avalok that he and his riders have been patrolling the plains because the unicorns have become aggressive and anxious. But when he sees Siri, he now understands why she's the cause of them becoming more aggressive and anxious. So by now we can tell that there is something up with these unicorns related to Siri. We just don't know exactly what it is at this point in the chapter. So Aridin and Avalok have a short discussion and Aridin takes back off to do his thing and Siri and Avalok head to the city of Tirnalia. When they arrive, Siri is completely in awe of the beauty and majesty of the city and especially of the palace that they enter. It's even said that while she has been raised in royal castles, we know that she's, you know, she's a princess, this was still incredibly impressive to her. And as it's been explained before, I, so it's not shocking or anything like that. It's um, like, it's under, like, we've been basically told before throughout the story that the elves built very beautiful structures like in the, in her world, the ancient elves. Uh, most of those things are in ruins now, but um, because they were destroyed by humans. But yeah, we have learned that the elves are really capable builders. And that was actually talked about a little bit in the chapter in Blood of Elves where Ciri and Geralt see Sherawed. And then she even references Sherawed to Avalok here. But in the palace, Aridin is already there and he tells them that Oberon, the Elder King, who she's meant to have the child with, wants to meet her immediately, but they decide that they'll get her cleaned up first. So they have servants get her cleaned up, made up, and dressed up, and she goes into Oberon's chambers and meets him. So when she arrives in the chamber, he is on the terrace blowing bubbles. 
And he is also very tall, of course, and his hair color is similar to hers. And his eyes are described as being the color of molten lead and full of unimaginable sadness. Well, a conversation gets started and he begins to talk to her about the history of her world. He says that the NL left that world long ago and were able to do so because during that time, one with a little talent and skill could move freely between worlds. But after the conjunction of spheres, the door to travel between worlds closed to everyone except for a few chosen ones. Now, they want to reopen that door, and as Avalok sort of said to Geralt, Siri is the answer to getting that done. Well, right before he abruptly tells her to just leave him alone, he looks into her eyes and he's astounded by how she has Sheadal, or Lara's eyes, and Sheadal. Um, I don't know that I've ever actually discussed it. She was the mother of Lara, which we, um, we, we know that already because they say Lara Doran Ep Sheadal, and that Ep spelled A-E-P. Um, the Nilfgaardians use that too. That's like Kahir. I can't remember his full name now, and I probably don't even know how you pronounce I don't think I've ever really known how you pronounce Kahir's full name, but he has that Ep in there too. And the name that follows Ep is his mother's name. So yes, um, he says that she's got Lara and Lara's mother, Sheadel's eyes. So later on, after this whole meeting is done and over with, Siri joins Avalak on a boat to discuss this meeting with Oberon. And she's very troubled by her encounter with him, and Avalak notices, but he doesn't really do much to resolve her anxiety or confusion, which makes her feel more frustrated, and I get it, as I've already talked about a little bit. He just starts playing his little flute recorder instead of trying to make matters clear for her. And since he's so old and wise and he can predict the future, shouldn't he understand that these things don't make perfect sense to her? I think that he probably just doesn't care, or I think that it's probably in his best interest in like the best interest best interest of his goals his motivations that she doesn't totally understand what's happening because he's trying to deceive her we figured that out a little bit so i'll talk about that more but he does eventually start talking while they're in this moment right here and he begins by discussing the ifling prophecy that has come up many times throughout the series and how that Prophecy predicts the white frost, which is this apocalyptic blizzard. And this is something that he discussed with Geralt as well. And he explains that the child born from Ciri will possess the power to reopen Ardgaith, which is the gateway between worlds. And if this gateway is reopened, they can transfer not only elves, not only the Enche, but also the humans from their world to the world that they're currently in here and they can save them from this white frost. So all of this talk from Avalok here is meant to impress on Ciri how important it is for her to agree to try and make a baby with Oberon. I don't know why he waited until now to say all this. When they were traveling to Tirnalia, it was said that it was a day's ride, so <laughs> he had plenty of time to tell her. I don't know why he waited. I guess maybe it doesn't matter that much, but still it's just... <sighs> The communication here just drives me crazy. 
Okay, like, just explain things a little bit better to her. Like, it's not that hard. But like I said, it might be all deliberate. It might be trying to let her remain confused so that she can't pick up on what's really going on. Well, that night, she visits Oberon again. This time, they have dinner together, and they talk while they're eating, and she drinks a decent amount of wine, so she's like, you know, her tongue's getting a little loose, and she starts telling him a lot of things that she probably wouldn't have without the wine, and she's telling him about how she and Geralt are connected by destiny, and how she needs to leave this world so that she can go help Geralt. And then he disagrees with her, saying that if destiny will bring them together, then it will inevitably happen whether she leaves there right now or not. Then he points out the, um, the Ouroboros that he's got on the wall symbolizing eternity. And he talks about how the past, present, and future is hidden in every moment and that her destiny is to be the beginning and the end. I don't really get what his point is here, what he's trying to get her to understand, but then he just suddenly tells her to get undressed. So it's now time for them to try to initiate the deal that Siri has made with them. Well, they get into bed together and <laughs> they spend a little time trying to get going, but he is unable to. And then he just walks away and she's left there feeling embarrassed and she cries. And I felt so bad for her here. Like she's agreeing to do something that she really doesn't even want to do. And then she's just left to feel embarrassed. It's just, it sucked. So, and he, he doesn't say anything either. Like this is another example of poor communication on their part. But I mean, I guess that it is what it is. So she goes to Avalok again the next morning. She tells him what happened and she really unleashes this frustration. She says that she's trying to fulfill her end of the, the agreement and it's not her fault if Oberon is unable to for whatever reason. Avalok, he's just so dismissive. He's telling her, remain patient since Oberon is your only chance of regaining your freedom. And to this, she says that she's very suspicious at this point that they're all just trying to cheat her. And this offends Avalok because apparently questioning the word of an NL is a serious insult. But from her frustration, lack of answers, she keeps pushing and she kind of indignantly suggests that someone else can just try to impregnate her. And she says even Avalok can do it since she's got Lara's eyes. And the mention of Lara here in this way really sends him over the edge and he's not so blase anymore and he chokes her for a second. And he says that she, he says like a handful of things, but the one thing that stood out to me the most was that he said that she's more like Kraganen than Lara. And as a reminder, Kraganen of Lod was the woman, or the, the man, the, the human sorcerer that Lara had, um, it was Rhiannon with. Um, so Siri is a descendant of both Lara and Kraganen. So he says that she's more like Kraganen than Lara. And that's meant to be an insult because he, Avalok, very obviously hates Kraganen. And she apologizes for saying that, and he quickly forgives her, and they move on. But uh, we're not going to move on just yet. I want to talk about Avalok. I want to use this moment to talk about him in a bit more detail. So, although it's never said outright, Avalok clearly was in love with Lara Dorn. Geralt even noticed when he met 
Avalok that there was a change in his indifferent tone whenever he mentioned Lara. And then Aridin in this chapter, he earlier said that um, Siri has a little bit of Lara left in her. I think he said it was Lara's eyes. And of course, Avalok would be the one to know that. And now there's this moment with Siri where he gets extremely offended when she talks about Lara the way that she does. So his love for her makes me wonder if his determination might be more personal than it is practical. He says that he wants to save the world from Ithlene's prophecy, but is that really all it is? Is that what it is at all? Plus, is it really such a threat or like is the white frost is it really such a threat or is he just saying that to scare siri into submission and i do know he told Geralt about this too but maybe he was also just trying to scare Geralt to get Geralt to stop trying to interfere with rescuing siri because he's aware of the fact that siri and Geralt and the majority of humans in their world are familiar with this prophecy. So we could just be saying like, oh yeah, you know that prophecy you've heard about a lot of times? Yeah, that's real. That's going to happen. So you better watch out. You better do the things that I want you to do or that's going to happen. I don't know 100%. We leave this chapter not getting clear answers on that, but it's a theory. So I'm like, he is a knowing one. I feel like we should be inclined to believe this. Like we, we know that he can predict the future and we have seen proof of that already. As I gave you that little update at the beginning of this episode that we learned about in the previous chapter with Dandelion not going with the group when they leave Tucson. Avalok predicted that. So we know that he can accurately predict the future. We've got the proof of that. But it's possible that he is stretching the truth to get what he wants. And even Aridin says something about this. And he says it a little bit later in the chapter, so we're going to discuss that more when we get there. But for now, we'll just continue through the events that took place, but I will come back to that. Well, the following night, Siri returns to Oberon so that they can try again, and nothing comes of it. Well, she sleeps there, and then she has this dream about Visigoda. And in the dream, he's telling her that she is not safe in the NL world. So this is the next time that she's hearing about that. And that her master of space and time powers that come from her elder blood should not be taken from her. So she's got to flee because it will be taken from her as long as she remains there. But... She argues against this advice, saying that she's tethered to this world by a magical barrier. And then he says, no, that's not true. You're not, it's not possible for you to be tethered there with the powers that you have. And while that sounds great and all, what can she do if she doesn't know how to use these powers and how is that gonna help her at this moment at least? So then he tells her that, and this is in quotes, they will perish without your help. And then she sees Yennefer and Geralt in what is probably their current state. So she sees Yennefer imprisoned, like how she is imprisoned by Vilgoforts. And then she sees Geralt on horseback, trekking through a snowstorm with a few others, like how he was leaving Tucson during the winter through mountain passes with the company. 
So, and we do know that she has these prophetic dreams about Geralt. Geralt has had prophetic dreams about her. And then later on in the dream, she sees herself standing in a pile of bones. And then the dream ends with her seeing Geralt and calling out to him and he can't hear her. Well, the next morning she goes to the stable so that she can take out Kelpie and she is assisted by the small servant elves that have been around the whole time she's been there. Well, she's then shocked when one of the elves smiles at her and she sees that they have canines because the elves do not have canines. They have different teeth. So she moves the servant's hair back just to realize that she doesn't have pointed ears. So this is Ciri's first discovery into humans occupying this world. She is not the only human there. She's definitely not the first human there. Well, Aridin then approaches right after this moment on his horse and he challenges her to a race, which they do, and she beats him even though his horse was compared to a dragon in terms of size. So you would think he would win, but Kelpie is just an incredibly fast horse. Well, after they arrive at the finish line, he has her follow him down these old steps towards a river and they enter this bower and there's a couch in the bower and Siri thinks that he's going to try and steal her from Oberon, which will make him the real king, but he just sits down at a table. And once they're both seated, he tells her that she'll never be allowed to leave this world. He explains that the only reason they promised her that they'd let her leave is simply just to get her to comply with what they want. And she challenges this by saying Avalok gave her his word, so that's supposed to mean something. Like, she just learned that. Um, but he tells her, with the knowing ones, with the likes of Avalok, in every other sentence, there's mention of the ends justifying the means. And this is the reference that I previously mentioned when we were talking so in such detail about Avalok. Uh, was about Aridin showing us how Avalok will deceive to meet his goals. But then he tries to get her to give Oberon a flacken containing a substance that's to make him perform when he's with Ciri, since Oberon will never actually willingly take anything like that. And she refuses to give it to him. And the next thing he brings up seems like it's a way of trying to convince her to give Oberon the substance. He tells her that because time moves differently in this world, Everyone she knew is already dead at this point, and she doesn't believe this. She tells him she doesn't believe this. So he says, recall your legends, the legends in your world about the wild hunt who have kidnapped people and returned them later, but not until after their loved ones have been long dead. Well, she still doesn't believe him. So what it sounds like he's saying is if she gives Oberon the substance, then Oberon will be able to do the deed with Ciri, and then she can have the baby that they want, and then she'll be able to return to her world like they promised. But otherwise, he'll never be able to perform, and she'll therefore never be able to return to her world. Well, right after this conversation, her meeting with um, Aridin, well, they agree to have uh, food together, but we don't get to see that scene. I guess it's uneventful. So the next thing that happens is Siri returns to Oberon the next night. I feel like I just recently referred to Aridin as Oberon. If I did, I meant Aridin. 
I could have actually said Aridin. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, so Syria returns to Oberon the next night, and of course, nothing happens. They try, nothing happens. But the next morning, she awakes to find him trying to get assistance in this department from Fistech. And she takes them to, and then they both try again to no avail. The fist tech was not something that would help him. And then they both show their frustration toward each other. And he tells her to pray that it happens with him. Pray that he's able to do this. Because if it doesn't work, then she's going to be subjected to Avalok and his laboratory. And this made me think of Vilgefort's. And it's probably a pretty similar concept, which is horrifying. And the reason, even though they don't give us any details on it, the reason that I think it's probably similar to what Vilgefortz does, it's probably something horrific, is because he tells her, like, believe me, you wouldn't want to become, you wouldn't want to become familiar with the laboratory. So I think, and we know that what Vilgefortz does in his experiments is, um, it's disturbing. Well, she says she doesn't care as long as it gets her to be able to return to her friends. And then he angrily throws a mirror at her and he's like, here's your friends, have a look. And he leaves the room and she looks into the mirror and she sees Yennefer and Yennefer's dead and she's underwater. And then she sees Geralt, he's also dead and he's in the snow and he's just getting buried by snow. This might actually be true. This might actually be as they are in that moment. Because by the end of this chapter, Siri manages to leave. So maybe she does manage to eventually return to her world and her time and interfere somehow before Yennefer and Geralt were killed and she saves them from that fate. We don't know. Like Oberon could just be you know, done some weird little witchcraft or shown her some magic mirror that would show her something like that just to upset her. But it could actually be Yennefer and Geralt's state while Ciri is in this world and while that time has passed. Uh, we don't know for sure, but that's what I'm thinking is what is going on here. And, and it's not a spoiler, just in case you did forget for me to say that, like, she, we know for sure she returns to her world. We don't know the process of her getting back there. We don't know anything that between the end of this chapter and, and her getting back there. But it was said in chapter one that she, the world that she was in in chapter one, which takes place in the future from this chapter, uh, she does say that she got there from Rivia. So we know 100% she returns to that world. So what I'm thinking is, yeah, she saves Yennefer and Geralt from those fates of being drowned and freezing to death, respectively. Okay. The next morning, Ciri rides off on Kelpie and she comes across the unicorns. And Little Horse greets her at first by placing his head in her lap and telling her by communicating through her mind that he didn't know to do that when they first met in Korath, but now he's grown. So the unicorns want to help her leave this world, but she doesn't want to trust them at first, and she expresses this to them. They say that she's a dangerous weapon, and they don't want that weapon to fall into the hands of the Elder King, the Fox, or the Sparrowhawk. And by these people, they mean Oberon, Avalok, and Aridin. Well, according to the unicorns, 
Avalok and Aridin can only take small steps like specters to go from world to world. And Avalok can only go to Tyr Nebia Rain, which is where we first met him when Geralt met him um, back in Tower of Swal the Swallow. And Aridin and his group, known as the Red Riders, can only travel around the spiral, although they don't explain what the spiral is. So, because their chances to move around worlds are so limited, they desire to regain the power to freely move about the worlds again. And the unicorns say that when the NL first had that power, they abused it, and they'll do it again, which is why she needs to leave. She's their only hope for being able to regain that power. She says that she can't leave, and they say, nope, she can, since she's the master of worlds. They said that just like Visigoda told her in that dream, and like he told her when she first entered the Tower of the Swallow. Well, she agrees that she will trust them and let them help her use her power to escape, as long as Little Horse is with her. So that moment comes to an end, and she makes this plan to flee, but before she does, she decides that she's going to visit Oberon one more time, in the hopes that that will delay any pursuers. But when she enters his chambers, he's on this armchair, his skin is white as a sheet, and he drops the flak in that Aridin previously showed her. He calls her Sheadal, and then he calls her Lara. And when he calls her Lara, he also, he also refers to her as his daughter. So I think that we're meant to understand here that Lara Doran up Sheadal was the daughter of Sheadal and Oberon which I say I think we're meant to because it's it's just another thing it's not outright said, but most likely that's what we're <laughs> supposed to believe here. So he says a few more things like how he's afraid, but then he dies in Ciri's arms and then she takes off. So she gets on a boat and as it's floating under a bridge, Aridin jumps on and he tries to stop her from fleeing. He asks her who told her that she could get past the barrier by sailing along the river. So we know how she's able to get past that magic barrier at first. And then he tells her that she's got to go back and that Oberon will be full of vigor tonight. But she tells him o Oberon overdosed on the substance. And he displays astonishment when he hears this. So it appears that Aridin was not trying to kill the Elder King, but he inadvertently did. It's just, um, I found it a little bit ambiguous because if Oberon was able to die and did die from taking that stuff that Aridin wanted him to take, it almost seems like he was deliberately trying to kill him. But the fact that he does show astonishment when Ciri tells him that Oberon's dead makes me think like, oh, okay, that was an accident. Didn't mean to kill him, but he overcomes that astonishment pretty quickly. And I don't think that's because he was feigning astonishment. I think it's because it's like he, he's, probably just doesn't really care that much. He's got his own motivations, which aren't too clear, but he's got them. Well, Aridin continues swinging his sword at Ciri, but that comes to an end when they pass by a low bridge, or I don't know, maybe it was even an average height bridge, but low for him since the NL elves are tall. And Ciri stabs him in the thigh and he falls over. So that's the last we see of him. He is alive though. She did not kill him. Um, with that little stab and him falling into the water. He didn't drown like way down by armor or anything like he, she saw him crawl out. 
So Siri arrives at the meeting place and she finds Little Horse who tells her that the elder unicorns wanted him to show her something. So he takes her to this ravine where there are a bunch of human bones. So when the NL arrived in this world, it was already inhabited by humans and they killed off all the humans and took over. Actually pretty similar to what happened in Ceres world, the world that we are familiar with in this story. The, the elves were there first and then the humans showed up and they killed off not all of the elves, um, but a bunch of them just like how the NL did not kill off all the humans, but a bunch of them. And they're all servants now and in the world we're familiar with, um, not all the elves were killed off, but they're very discriminated against. And a lot of them try to live outside of regular societies because uh, life within them is so terrible. Well, Little Horse also says that the NL conquered this world after they deceived and took advantage of the unicorns, just as they were trying to deceive and take advantage of Siri. So it sounds like the NL tried to use the unicorn's magic to travel between worlds, since the unicorns can travel freely between worlds to this day. Even if that's not exactly what happened there, we still now understand why the NL and unicorns are enemies, because the NL tried to take advantage of the unicorns. While they're there in the ravine, there are pursuers approaching. So Siri takes off on Kelpie, riding as fast as she can, but the elder trees are reaching their branches out and they're trying to stop her. And she recalls that this has happened before, a night of ghosts and apparitions and the trees doing what they're doing. And what she's referring to is the night where she fled from Yen and Gors Velen so that she could go and try Geralt on that farm and the trees came to life and the wild hunt pursued her until Yennefer used magic to send them away. Well, Little Horse then signals for her to leap, which she doesn't totally understand, but she focuses hard and she manages to do it, which transports her to another world and another time. And she sees the constellations from her world and she thinks that she made it back, but Little Horse tells her they're not actually in her world or her time. He says that there are still many worlds ahead of them. So she makes another leap and then the chapter ends. So it looks like Siri has harnessed her powers and figured out how to travel through space and time. So let's hope that she can get back to her world quickly. Well, closing thoughts. It was nice to see what happened with Siri um, after getting a small preview of her time in that world in chapter one. Like It's nice that we were able to get an update as quickly as we did because sometimes we get little previews into things and then we don't actually get the follow-up or like the full follow-up until like way later. So this wasn't that big of a wait. But those I know, there's something. Like they don't immediately come across as bad. Like when we first meet them, it, it they don't seem like they're amazing. Like they don't seem great, but they don't seem that bad. Like as bad as they turned out to be. But you know, they're very old and wise and intelligent. So it makes sense that they'd be really good at deceit. It's not too surprising. Also, I thought it's pretty cool that Siri can now use these special powers because someone like her, who is targeted by evil people all the time, ought to have powers like that. And, you know, she needs to be, to be able to make a quick escape. But I guess 
without those powers, without her elder blood, <laughs> she wouldn't have been as big of a target in the first place. I mean, there are some people that have been after her for pure political advantage. And there are some people that are after her specifically because of her elder blood. And then there's people like, like Boneheart who indirectly wanted her, not because of the elder blood, but because so many people were after her because of her elder blood. Like he wanted her because he knew that she would be a way of making a lot of money in his sick, twisted ways. Okay, looking ahead. Now that we know what happened to Siri in the elf world, we have to find out what happens when she finally returns to this world. Since we already know, like I was previously saying, that she does return. And I guess we also have to see how, like, how that goes, um, how quick she can do it or how slow it's going to be, how easy or difficult the process is. Um, because now that she can access these powers, we still don't know if it's something that she's going to be able to just like, oh yeah, now that I know how to do it, like boom, 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 like go from world to time, back and forth, whatever. It, there might be a little bit of a learning curve there. So it could be something easy. It could be something difficult. So we'll have to see how that goes. And last looking ahead point here. Hopefully we've seen the last of the NL. Aridin and his Red Riders can travel along the spiral, as Little Horse called it, whatever that is. So let's hope that the spiral isn't something that can gain him access to Siri. Um, but I don't want to see any of them return. I, I think they're not good people. I think they're all very dangerous, especially as far as Siri's concerned. And yeah, Avalok, don't want to see him again. Don't want to see Aridin again. We won't see Oberon again. He's dead. So at least there's that. He was probably the um, least harmful out of the three of them. So out of the three of them, if we get to choose which one could 100% no longer be a threat again, it would probably be Avalok or Arid and not Oberon. So of course, he's the one that we don't need to worry about. All right, well, that's all I have for you. So just let you know, in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Thank you so much for joining, and I will catch you all in the next episode.